Okay, let's get started because today's um, might be a little longer. So, Christos and Esti, um, in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And Lord, make us ready to pray. Thankfully, our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. Forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not temptation, but lead us from the evil one. <clears throat> In Christ Jesus, our Lord, and is the kingdom of power and glory for another. Amen. Okay, I'm trying to get back into it. Amber Weiss is passing. I'm not going to lie, has affected my mood. Um, but I'm sure this will get us out of the funk. Um, and I can be emo on my own later. So um, this one might be uh, longer. But I just think we don't usually talk about, I don't, I don't think, no matter what we do, I don't think we talk about St. Um, Athanasius um, enough. Um, and so I mostly, there's so many books that are really good about him. Um, just because of the sake of time, I mostly focused on, on a, a short book. Um, a lot of the kitchen people have read by um, Francis Forbes. Um, but... I wanted to get a sense of him. Um, and the way that I'm kind of trying to go about Thursdays until this is over is I'm going to try and do like a spiritual topic one week, a social topic one week, uh, tradition and, and, and dogmatics thing one week. And then the fourth um, is more of like a joker or wild card. So we're doing St. Athanasius. He's a beast. His name means the immortal one. Um, but it didn't work very well. Um, <laughs> I'm showing off my skills. Um, so St. Athanasius is born around the turn of the fourth century. So he's born somewhere around the year 300. Um, and depending on which story you go with, there's two versions of the story. There's the version um, that's found in the life of the patriarchs, and then there's the, um, the other version. Um, so one version is that he's born as a Christian, he's a, he's a really good Christian, he's a prominent Christian, um, and there's the famous really cool story um, of how um, he's on the beach playing with his friends and he perfectly gets the baptismal rites, Pope Alexander notices him, um, they become besties, he becomes Pope. That's one version. The, the version that's not as commonly known um, and I'm not dwelling on the first one because I think most of you have, have heard it. If you haven't, I'm sorry. Um, but the other version actually is that he was born to pagan parents um, and that his dad died while he was relatively young. His mom hated Christianity. Um, he had started to read certain Christian books um, and that got his mom really worked up and she's trying to stop it. So she took him to, she did what we do, we took him to Abuna. Um, she took him to the pagan priest um, who was like, you know what, you're not going to be able to control this kid. Um, and sure enough, he became one of the most formidable Christians in the history of Christianity. Um, but also in that tradition, his mom also actually eventually becomes Christian herself. Um, either way, regardless of how it was, somehow St. Athanasius finds himself disciple to Alexander of Alexandria. Um, but I want to give a little bit of a historical background because I think we don't get enough of what was going on in the world in this time because it was, it was crazy times for sure. 
So first of all, um, there's Alexander is one of two descendants of Pope Peter of Alexander. Okay, so we're going to step back two popes, two and a half popes. Okay, um, Pope Peter, who we call Seal of the Martyrs, he's a legend. If you don't know his story, you need to know his story. Um, but Pope Peter was um, reigning during the time of uh, the reign of Emperor Diocletian and the great persecution that was going on during that time. Okay. Um, the church was used to being killed. It was persecution after persecution after persecution. There was 10 great persecutions that ended with, with, with Emperor, Di Emperor Diocletian. So Pope Peter was a super epic holy man, okay? He was usually up all night reading the Bible. He was a man of the people. He was extremely gentle and kind. Um, and he was known because um, when people um, fell for persecution, if they were um, not strong enough to, to die for Christ, um, Pope Peter let them back. He said, it's okay, like, let them back. Um, and that caused a big schism. Um, Miletius, the bishop of Lycopolis, which is modern-day Asut, um, hated him for that, right? He's like, how can we just let these people back who, like, renounced Christ while the rest of us suffered for it, right? That's not cool. And, and Pope Peter was like, no, I'm sorry. We're not going to lay on them heavy burdens. Good that they came back, right? And this caused a major schism. And so Miletius actually separates. That's not the whole part of Miletian schism, but it's a bit, an important part of it. So Miletius um, is kind of like this separatist movement within the Church of Alexandria that's going on, okay? That's a thorn in his side that Arius we're going to run into has some affiliation with, okay? But St. Peter is known to be this super gentle guy, and the people love him, okay? They adore him. Um, Pope Peter was a man who was never on his throne. Like in those days, the bishop was always on the throne in the church. Pope Peter wouldn't do it because he could see St. Mark sitting on it. Um, so um, they want to kill Peter. The authorities want to kill Peter. And the people are like, we're not going to let this guy die. So the people form um, a human wall around the base that St. Peter is in to prevent the Roman soldiers from being able to get in to access St. Peter to kill him. That's how much they love him. They've literally formed a human barricade for him. So there's this dude named Arius, who is going to be a prominent figure in this narrative that we're going to talk about today. But Arius, um, he was a Miletian at one point. Arius was from Libya, which fell under the Diocese of Alexandria, it's part of the Pentapolis. And he was ordained a Psalter, actually, by Miletius himself. And Arius was excommunicated with the Miletians, but Arius had started to have teachings that were suggesting that Jesus Christ was not God, which was what everyone was dying for. Okay? So Peter was known to be very, very, um, uh, very kind and very sensitive and very open. Right? So the day that the day before Pope Peter was, was supposed to die, they knew that the soldiers were going to kill him. Um, he, he summoned his two closest disciples, Achilles and Alexander. And Arius had gone to both of these men and said, can you please put in a good word for me? I don't want to die excommunicated. 
I'm a good guy, like trust me, be nice, I, I'm, I'm, I'm your dude. And so they were like, oh wow, this poor guy, and you know what, we'll, we'll talk to Pope Peter, he's a really nice guy, don't worry about this, everything is going to be fine. So they go in to see St. Peter, and St. Peter says, they say, well, Arius is outside, he goes, I know. And he goes, I will not give him anything. And he was so firm. And he goes, Aries has no part in Christ, neither now or in the life to come. They were harsh words, and they were not what they're used to hearing from this man. So they asked him why he was taking such a strong stance. And he said, well, I had a vision. I saw Christ before me, and his garment was, was, was cut in the middle um, so that God, Christ was exposed naked, right? Like, it was a very offensive sight. And Pope Peter put his head down to not look at it, and he said, Lord, who has done this to you? And so it was Christ who said, this is Arius who has done it, um, who has no part of me now or in the future, and tomorrow your two disciples will come to you asking you to absolve him, and you cannot. So he refused, okay? Um, so Arius is upset, St. Peter gets martyred, and, and Pope Peter tells his two disciples, he says, listen, you're both going to end up Pope. You're both going to end up Pope. And I'm telling you, do not readmit Arius. He prophesied. Achilles, sure enough, became Pope next. Um, but Achilles thought that he was, like, wise. I don't, I, I, don't, I don't mean that in a mean way. I think he thought he was being nice. Um, and he readmitted Arius. He died almost right away. Achilles had one of the shortest papacies in the history of the church. Like he was a matter of months and he was gone. Um, and then came in Pope Alexander. So this is the context of it. So now in the meantime, Emperor Constantine has taken over. Okay. Now Emperor Constantine, um, I'm trying to be nice about him. So Emperor Constantine, um, to his credit, um, he had a vision um, that we celebrate um, in the church. He had a vision where he saw a sign of the cross in the sky as he was fighting to become sole emperor of the empire, saying, with this sign you shall conquer. So Constantine has all the soldiers have crosses as their standard. They go through, he's victorious, he wins. So in the year 313, Constantine puts out what's called the Edict of Tolerance, and what that did is that it made it okay to be a Christian. It didn't make Christianity the religion of the empire. It just simply said, it's now legal to be a Christian. The persecution was officially over. Okay? So for the first time in the recent history of the church, there's peace. Okay? People are allowed to be Christian. They're allowed to practice. They're allowed to proclaim it. They're allowed to build churches. They're allowed to be... This is huge, right? This is not, this is not normal. I, like... I don't even know what to compare it to, right? Because what happened to the blacks in the South was horrific, right? But they were, they were slaves. But we're talking about we weren't just slaves. We were being slaughtered, right? And suddenly, you're allowed to openly say, I'm Christian. So this is, this is epic. So it is a very big deal. Now, when he became emperor, he did some good things, okay? Actually, he abolished crucifixion out of respect for Christ, actually. Um, that, was a, that was a big event. 
He ended the Coliseum Games, which was often used to kill Christians, but he put an end to that. Um, and so he did some good things. Now, going on in the background is that Arius, Arius is a guy who had a beautiful voice. He looked really holy, very frail, very skinny, right? He was that classic monk look that when you look at and they have their head down, you're like, oh, wow, that guy's holy, right? So Arius had mastered the look. And everyone considered this guy super righteous. And he was really good at music. So Arius actually started his famous jingle of there was a time when the sun was not. It rhymes in Coptic, okay? So it, it doesn't flow well in English. It worked well in his time. So he would sing it, and people liked the song. They had this jingle, there was a time when the sun was not. He's not talking about the sun, S-U-N. He's talking about the sun, S-O-N. Okay? And so what he was starting to teach was, guys, you guys are confused. You know, there was a time where the son of God didn't exist. He's created. He's the firstborn of creation. Consequently, it's not totally right to call him God. And so... This caused obvious stirs because people are like, but what have we been dying for the last 200 years, right? No one's killing the Jews, right? Like, we're dying because we specifically believe that he is God. So he was excommunicated. He started getting popular. Alexander convened a local synod of the, the, the Church of Alexandria, um, and Arius was condemned. But Arius wasn't going to stop there. So Arius goes to Palestine, and he meets up with Eusebius. Um, there's going to be another Eusebius, not to confuse with him, because he's going to be a major character in the show. But he meets up with Eusebius, the bishop in Palestine, tells the bishop, listen, I've been wronged. I'm being wrecked by my bishop. They don't get me. Look at me. I'm this poor monk, right? And he does the monk look. And, um, and Eusebius is like, oh, man, that... Sucks to be you. Let's 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 try and fix this. I'll put in a good word for you to Alexander. So he writes to Alexander, and Alexander's like, no, this is what this guy is teaching. And he's being condemned. So Eusebius of Palestine actually backs off. So then where does Arius go next? He goes to another Eusebius. Remember this guy's name, Eusebius of Nicomedia. Um, and they become besties. Okay. So Eusebius of Nicomedia is like, I like this guy. I like what he's saying. And Eusebius of Nicomedia is another weird guy. No offense, Eusebius. But um, Eusebius is a bit of a politician himself. Allegedly, Eusebius had actually apostatized during one of the persecutions. He had actually renounced the faith in one of the persecutions. Uh, Allegedly, he forced himself on the city of Nicomedia to be bishop, okay? And then, um, politically, he was just dumb, okay? Because when uh, the emperor's sister's husband, the emperor's brother-in-law, was actually fighting against Constantine over dominion over the empire. When, Lic when Licinius, that was the name of the guy fighting Constantine, was winning, Eusebius was on his side. Once Constantine was winning, he switched loyalties to Constantine. Okay, and they're actually from the same hometown. Constantine grew up in Nicomedia. He spent a big portion of his life there. So they know each other. There's, there's this like buddy system thing that's going on. 
This is all important background. It's going to be less sophisticated as you go along, so please bear with me. Okay, but it's if you don't know the, this part, the 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 rest of the drama and, and it's drama and it gets exciting, um, won't make sense to you. Okay, so right now we've got his biggest ally is Eusebius of Nicomedia. All of this is happening during Pope Alexander's life. Okay, now now that Arius has found. Um, help and support in a bishop, now we have a problem, okay? Because now it's no longer a local issue, it's getting bigger. And so Alexander sees that the issue is getting bigger, so he puts out a letter, an encyclical, and says, listen guys, this is the teaching of Arius. I'm compelled to answer this. Some people think Athanasius, St. Athanasius might have helped him write this letter. He might have actually, right? Um, he was, by this point, personal secretary and deacon to the Pope. And so he publishes an encyclical. This gets both Eusebius and Arius really angry. Because like, oh, now he's taking the tax. Now he's slandering me. Now people know about me. Now, it just so happens that Constantine was chilling in Nicomedia during this. Okay, he was on a personal trip, having a good time in his hometown. So Eusebius sits with Emperor Constantine and says, you know, it's all just semantics. We're all saying the same thing in a different way. And it's so important for us to do this because today people get annoyed at theology and say it's just words and you're all arguing, but you're all really saying the same thing. And that's exactly what Eusebius was saying. No, they were not. They were not saying the same thing. So um, Constantine hears this, and then Eusebius brings in Arius, and they go, look at the guy, this poor persecuted man. Does he look like a villain to you? He's holy, right? And insert holy look again. Um, we, honestly, there, there needs to be a better movie about this thing. Like, there's so much we can do with this. But anyway, so Constantine is really living up his role. Constantine really saw himself as the dude. Right, I am the defender of the church. I am the savior of the church. And this is very, like, we've got to be very careful. Um, sometimes when people get popular for doing a particular thing, they keep trying to be that role. So be careful in your spiritual life that you don't do that, right? Where it's like, oh, they like me because I was the guy who spoke up. Then I am now going to always be the guy who speaks up, for example, right? Where it's like, no, you still need to assess when is right and when is wrong and whether you should or shouldn't. So Constantine was feeling himself. Um, so Constantine is like, okay, make love, not war. Be good Christians, forgive one another. Um, and da, 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 da. Let everyone keep his own opinion. I'm going to pause here. Political correct correctness? No. Okay, when it comes to dogma, this is not a place for diplomacy. It's not a place for political correctness in the sense of we're not going to pretend to believe things we don't. And that's what Constantine is asking for here, right? And that's why it was absolutely rejected. So there's a bishop who happens to be, be present named Hosius. I'm not going to talk too much about him. If we were doing this talk on the Council of Nicaea, I would talk about him a little bit more. But um, Hosius takes, so Constantine says all this stuff, puts it into a draft letter. Hosius takes it directly to Pope Alexander to say, this is the emperor's will be nice, play along, let the guy go, don't be mean, can we all just get along, like, let there be peace. 
So Alexander says, nobody, sorry, this isn't semantics. This is a problem. This is what actually what Arius is teaching. And Hosius is like, oh, yeah, that's a problem. Um, so he agrees with Pope Alexander. And so they, they say, well, how about we ask the emperor to summon all of the bishops and come and have a meeting about it? Right? If you think that I'm not fair locally, and clearly this problem is now extended outside of um, Alexandria, let's get together. Let's discuss it. So they go back to Emperor Constantine, and he agrees. To his credit, he agrees. Um, and he was really nice about it, like to his credit. He actually was like, I will pay for any bishop who can't afford to make it. Most bishops at the time were actually poor. Um, many of the bishops were, were, were not in a good place physically. So um, he says, I will finance personally um, and, and let them all come. So they choose Nicaea, a city that's only 20 miles away from the Comedia, 32 kilometers for us Comedians. Okay. So basically, I want you just to be able to kind of picture what's going on here. Like Constantine is chilling. Right? He's like, yeah, let's go just do it in that town over there. It'll fit. Right? Like it's because it's we, we, when we're divorced from history, we don't realize the, like the mechanics of, of what was going on. Right? Why is it also of, of significance? Because we're having this debate in Eusebius's home turf. And Eusebius, the Bishop of Nicomedia, the neighboring city, is totally anti-Alexander and totally pro-Arius, right? And this battle is now happening in his backyard. So they summon everybody. Not everybody makes it. The number that go to the council, as you've memorized from church by now, is 325 bishops. Or sorry, 318 bishops in the year 325. Monumental mess up, my bad. 318 bishops, the year 325. They show up, um, and many of these bishops were confessors, um, it's funny because when I was writing the notes for this, I, I accidentally wrote many of these bishops were confessors and martyrs, but they were not martyrs. That's why they were there. Um, so many of these people were confessors. Um, some were former hermits. There's the famous Spiridon of, um, uh, not Crete, or was it Crete? Somewhere in Greece. Um, he's, he's got a great story. You should read his story. Um, he's a shepherd, former shepherd and acts as a shepherd. Pognutius from Egypt, he was a confessor. Um, Potamon from Alexandria, another confessor. So that's what I'm saying. That, that, that you've got to remember this context of persecution. This is ripe and fresh to them. These people are coming to a council literally with battle marks. People who have chopped off ears, people who have deformed and broken noses, people who have gashed scars because of what they suffered for the faith. So this is a really big deal, like, like that, that, that A, that they're Christian openly, and B, that there's this universal meeting. And Constantine is overwhelmed by what he sees, right? Constantine actually kisses their wounds, a lot of them. He's very humble, actually, um, at this council. What we don't always talk about when we talk about the Council of Nicaea is that of the 318, 17 of them were not pro-Alexander. Um, 17 of them were on Arius' side. Um, with Eusebius as their, their chief. So they walk into this meeting. Um, the Gospels are placed on the throne, the four Gospels. The emperor comes to the first session. He, uh, session, he venerates them all. Um, and again, just so you have a sense of, of, of meaning, they're used to associating the emperor with dying, right? They're used to emperor being bad news because emperors were ordering their deaths. 
So this is like a really historic moment that they're in the presence of the leader of the world, literally, right? That's come just to see them in a positive way. This is, this is overwhelming to a lot of these people. Um, and I'm saying that because I don't like Constantine, but I got to give him credit here. Um, you'll see why I don't like him shortly. Um, now, Constantine calls himself a fellow servant. He leads them to the matters to be decided. I think it's presumptuous, to be honest, for him to call himself a fellow servant. He's not. But presuming they care for the peace of the empire, he says, please get together um, and, um, and come to an agreement on what it is that, that we believe. So the two main non-bishops present are Arius and Athanasius. The rest are all, for the most part, bishops. So Arius starts to explain his doctrine. And that's a really big deal. The church lets people speak, right? Like they, they were like, okay, hey, yeah, what's, what's your deal, Arius? What are you saying? What are you saying it based on? What are you trying to say to us? And they listen. So Arius goes on and on and on and on, but Arius is a really good like dancer, okay? Arius is not ever, he's trying to avoid outright saying Jesus isn't God. Okay, so he's trying to use formulas and expressions that the church uses, like that the church was already using, so that it would feel familiar and not like a problem. So he would use common expressions, common titles, common things. He's a really good speaker. Um, so he's going around doing what he says without, without saying it directly. So he's dancing around the issue, but the point isn't really lost on the bishops because they know why they're there. So they're all just kind of like, um, is there a point here where you're going to tell us what you really think about this issue? Right? Like they're, they're trying to get there. And so eventually, um, like if you can just picture the power dynamics, like <laughs> Pope Alexander like points at Athanasius and it's like, take over kid. Um, and Athanasius destroys him. <laughs> so Athanasius comes down and he's like, what are you saying? Right, you're trying to say that you're trying to say Christ is not God, which all these people in this room, first of all, have suffered for. Okay, he's like, all right, well, what do you make of this and this and this and this? I'm not going to get into the specifics of that, or I will not. I'm already going to be pushed on time for finishing this tonight. But um, he owns him, he wrecks him, right? And for everything that Arius says, Athanasius has like a zillion retorts, and he just schools him. Um, so the people are like, woo woo, Athanasius wins. Um, and they're like, who is this kid from Alexandria, right? Because up till then, no one's heard of this guy outside of Egypt. Um, but he's, he's, he's man of the hour. So the people go nuts. Eusebius tries to charge him. So Eusebius steps in, because now Eusebius looks bad, right? And so he starts coming in. He's like, no, guys, like, chill, like, relax. The Son of God, Jesus, is infinitely holy. And he is the closest to God as it gets. He is nearly God. Um, and he even says, Arians accept everything the church believes. We can accept all of your expressions, which is really dangerous. I'm saying heresy is dangerous, right? They're saying anything you say, we can say, we can agree with you. Okay. Um, so Eusebius says this, but there's another bishop there that's like, yeah, really? How about I read this letter that you sent where you're not saying that Eusebius? In this letter, you're not saying that. You're actually contradicting yourself. 
you don't believe what you're saying right now because this becomes a common thing with the Aryans. They are they are sneaky, slithery snakes. Okay, that's reality. So um, so people go nuts. You see, this looks really bad. So he shuts up. Um, Athanasius has raised the roof. Bishops go wild, um, and so they say, you know what? Let's put to writing what we believe. And so we sometimes don't say this completely right when we talk about this part because we make it sound like Saint Athanasius sat down, posted it, and like, oh, okay, I got this. I'll tell you what we believe, and writes it out. That's not really how it happened. There were already baptismal creeds that existed that people said at creeds. There were some forms, but they put it out in order. But where Athanasius comes in, right, is that literally the dispute that's going on right now is over one Greek letter, iota. That's why there's an expression. I don't know if, 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 the, if this generation, the younger generation, uses it as much as like older generations did of saying, dude, I'm not budging, not, not even over one iota. That comes from this. It comes from this specific argument in history because homoousios, meaning a one essence with or a consubstantial with, by adding an iota in the middle, the saying homoousios, it means of similar or like substance to the Father. Just one letter changes the meaning completely. And Arius and Eusebius are arguing for the iota to be there. Whereas the genius of St. Athanasius at this council, the genius in my view of St. Cyril at another council, is being able to zoom in and say, I know where your problem is. And so you can tell me all you want that you agree with everything we're saying. But if you really actually agree, you should be able to sign on the dotted line to this statement. And that's the genius of Athanasius, right? Is that he, he's able to dumb it down to a word. This word, what do you make of it? Deal with me, right? And so because of that, right, they're cornered. They're really, really, really cornered. And then Athanasius doesn't drop it there with the bishops. Is that they have the creed that you're used to seeing, but it's not the full thing. It just says it has what you're used to seeing, all the way to, yes, we believe in the Holy Spirit, full stop, okay? But then it says, but whoever says there is a time when the Son was not, <laughs> and whoever says that the Son is not consubstantial with the Father, or whoever says that the Son is like a created being, the church anathematizes him. Right? They are accursed, they're cut off. Sign right here. Right? So Arius, Arius says all of those things. So Arius is like, I'm not, I'm not signing that. Peace out. Um, the emperor says okay to this creed. He says, okay, everybody should sign this. Again, to his credit, even though he's buddy buddy with Eusebius, he says, no, the council has spoken. We're doing this. So the 17 Arian bishops. There's, they're really struggling, okay? Because there's no wiggle room here. So the emperor gives the creed the weight of the empire. I actually think this wasn't good. That's my personal opinion. Part of the reason why I struggle with Constantine is that he is the one who married the politics in the church, I think, in an, in, a, in, a, in an extra way. That's my personal opinion on a personal level only. Most people sign. There's pressure. Right, where, where the emperor's like, I support this. So everybody signs except five. 
Um, so five are holding out, including Eusebius. Then the emperor gets a little more extravagant. He's like, yeah, I think people should sign. Who knows if they don't sign, I might have to banish them. Um, and so he's starting to threaten, right? And so the empress, who's, who's, who's the closest friend to um, Eusebius, remember that Eusebius was supporting the empress, his brother against the emperor. So the empress and, uh, sorry, the emperor's sister, not the empress. The emperor's sister is buddy buddy. She messages Eusebius, didn't text back then, but, she, but she's nearby in the city, right? She's like, sign it. Get your signature on it. Don't, don't get yourself in trouble, sign it. So Eusebius finally signs. Um, there is an allegation that right before he signed that he was one of the last signatures that he quickly added an iota to the document um, and signed. May or may not, I don't know, it's, it's a tradition. So the emperor now has an extravagant banquet because what do you do when you're happy? You eat. So they get together, they have dinner, um, they have a party. And actually the emperor is really nice. He sends all the bishops home with tons of money to give to the poor. Whereas like, take this back to your people, distribute the wealth among the poor. It was very nice of him. Uh, everyone's glad, everyone's happy, except Eusebius. And another guy that I'm gonna bring up, um, who's actually bishop of that city, Theognis. Um, and they're very angry and Arius. Allegedly, at the end of this dinner party, the two bishops actually crossed off their names from the creed. The creed was held out as a sign of victory that they held, and, and, and the original copy was held at the banquet. And before they left, they, they crossed out their names. And then they went home and taught what they were teaching before. They started teaching Arianism. They thought they'd be, they'd be protected by the empress who they're close to and, 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 and that they wouldn't be touched. They were wrong. They were not only deposed, okay, um, but Constantine accepts their excommunication by Alexandria and says that Eusebius deceived him. So he publicly speaks against Eusebius. This is Constantine in his heyday. This is when things were going decently for him. So council wraps up. The, um, We'll eventually do some talks on the councils because there's important canons that they did there, but we're not going to do them right now because we're dealing with the immortal one. So immediately after the council, there's some peace. Um, lots of people are converting to Christianity. Constantine um, grew up in the East, okay? So Rome was a dark place for him. He didn't like to be in Rome. Constantine liked being in the East. He also had a problem in Rome because Constantine had ordered the, kill, the murder of his own son at one point during his taking over the empire. His son was accused of something falsely. Um, they tricked Constantine into believing he was guilty. So he had his son killed, then found out his son was innocent. He wasn't always happy to be in, the, in Rome for obvious reasons. So he was often out and there. So Pope Alexander lives for a few years after this, but now he's dying. And everyone has their eyes on Deacon Athanasius. Keep in mind that in the Council of Nicaea, Athanasius is only 25 years old, right? Schooling these old timers, okay? At the age of 20, Athanasius has written on the incarnation. He's, he's a beast. He's a spiritual, theological fiend. So everybody has their eyes on Athanasius saying, who should be Pope at Athanasius? Even though the Council of Nicaea like suggested ages for bishops, right? But they're like, I think it was Nicaea, I, I could be wrong. I need to do a fact check on that. Either way, he's super young. He's 29, right? 29 slash 30. 
at this time. So Alexander's on his deathbed and he's calling for Athanasius. Athanasius sees that everybody wants him to be Pope, so he flees, right? He literally jets out, leaves the city, goes into hiding. He has no interest in being like the power guy. So Alexander on his deathbed starts calling for Athanasius and the servants don't know what to do. So there was some guy in the, in the Pope's household named Athanasius, they bring him. They're like, maybe, maybe he wants this Athanasius. Um, and so Pope, Pope Alexander doesn't even like look at him. <laughs> and then apparently the dying words of, of Alexander are, Athanasius, you think you can escape, but it shall not be so. Um, this, is, this is a kid who's been marked from the womb for God. Like I, I'm convinced of that. So the bishops and the people, they assemble to choose the next Pope. And they literally, this is not exaggeration, they literally have like, the people rally around the cathedral, screaming, give us Athanasius. <laughs> um, and he was, he was just 30. So this, this guy is something else, like he's, he's beloved. Um, and thank God for that, because we needed his long life and his long papacy, as you'll see. So he did what was tradition to the new popes of the time. The last pope I'm aware of doing this um, one by one is Pope Carlos VI. I don't know how he did it. Um, I don't blame, I don't think Pope Shinoda did all of them and I don't blame him, it's too big. There's a custom that the new Pope would go visit every parish of his diocese. They would travel all over Egypt and visit every single church. Um, and so Pope, so Pope Athanasius did this. He went on his pastoral um, trip and he started visiting all of the churches one by one. The people adored him. He was friends with everybody, with the monks, with the nuns, with the ascetics, with the people. He was really just a normal guy. He didn't view himself as anything um, special. Uh, during this time, he met um, who would become the first bishop to Ethiopia, Abba Salema, whose name was Frumentius. And Frumentius or Frumentius, he, um, he was one of two or orphans who, I won't get into the whole story, they end up in Ethiopia and Frumentius ends up being a tutor to the king. As a result of this relationship, people start converting to Christianity. Christianity is legal in Ethiopia. But he goes to Pope Athanasius saying, we need a bishop. Um, and so they've all heard his elaborate tale. It's crazy. You should read it. Um, but then Athanasius is like, who better than you? Um, makes him bishop on the spot, sends him back, um, and he becomes the first uh, bishop to Ethiopia. Um, now, Athanasius, this is where I get very happy. Um, spent a part of his youth with the greatest saint in history, St. Anthony. Um, and this friendship would become very meaningful for so many reasons that even when you realize with Anthony, you might not realize why it was such a big deal. When you see what Athanasius goes through, you'll see why it was a really big deal that he had a, a friend like Anthony. Um, so he also visited St. Pachomius, whose feast is next week actually. Um, him and, and, and St. Athanasius and St. Pachomius would have a very strong friendship, actually, very, very strong. Um, Pachomius had fought in wars between Constantine and Maxentius. I just want you to realize what's going on here. So Pachomius is like, I went to war because of Constantine, right? Like, I was in that battle. Um, and I converted to Christianity because of that, actually that in the middle of the war, the, there was a group of people that were actually nice to him in Upper Egypt, where he was like, why are they being nice? And they were like, oh, because they're Christians. They're just nice. And so he was like, well, if I come back from this war alive, I'll become one of them. 
um, and he did. So, so he's a, he's a, he's a king. So all of this is going on, um, and actually, when Athanasius visited Pachomius on this first tour, Saint Pachomius hid himself among the monks to look exactly like them, hoping that Pope Athanasius wouldn't know it was him, so that he wouldn't get any special honor. Um, Athanasius figured it out. He's like, Pachomius, like, get over here, but. Um, and he did elevate him. St. Pachomius didn't want any praise or honor, but that's what he received. Um, so this is the calm before the storm. Athanasius is a hero. Everyone loves him. Lots of good things are happening. And it's so important that he took those first few years that way because what he built as a Christian is what would carry him through the most turbulent, in my view, the most turbulent papacy in the history of the church. Um, the majority of his papacy, as you're going to see, is going to be spent in exile. Okay, so his strong spirituality, his strong love and devotion that he built between the monks and between the people, the the the, the diocese that he he set up, he did a lot of pastoral work and a lot of teaching, is what would end up holding them uh, grounded. Because now, the plot thickens. Constantia, the emperor's sister, dies. She was pro-Aryan. But Emperor Constantine really loved her. Family dynamics, guys. So he really loved his sister. And on her deathbed, she convinces Constantine that Arius was unjustly condemned. And she tells him, you know what? The judgment of God is going to fall on you. Right? These are things that we do today, right? Where people speak very boldly, very confidently, right? Of saying, oh, God help you. You're making a big mistake. And, and <laughs> don't worry about me. Worry about God's wrath, buddy. Right? This is the kind of thing. And so Constantine is very affected by this. Right? Where they go, okay, maybe. So he agrees. So there's an Aryan priest present. And the priest begs the emperor, saying, you know what? Give the old man a chance. Give Arius a chance. Let him just speak to you face to face without the politics, without the council. Just meet the guy. So, Eric, so Constantine says yes. Never flirt with the devil. Rule number one. So um, then the emperor said, if Arius can prove that he believes in the creed, he would let Arius return from exile and he would be reinstated. So the, this Arian priest is like, oh, sick. This is great. So Arius goes to Constantinople and he comes to the emperor with a document in his hand that is said to be the creed. One tradition has it that it was the real creed and that he had folded up in his palm the, his version with the, with the iota added. Um, I don't think it makes a difference because he's a liar either way, but whatever. Um, and he holds it and says, I swear that I believe the contents of the creed that is in my hand. Stamper's like, okay, what am I supposed to say? The guy has recanted. The guy is orthodox. Everyone should accept him. And so he's like, well, if Arius is okay, then that means Eusebius and Theognis are okay too. So he brings them back from their exile. So now these two people who had been like lost all power, they are suddenly the highest power because they are not only buddy buddy with the emperor, they live where the emperor is living. They're living in Nicomedia and that's where the, that's where the emperor is chilling. 
now they have constant direct access and control to all of civilization, literally. That's what's happened. Um, so what do they do? The two bishops that were elected in their places when they were excommunicated, they forced them out of the city. They banished them and they took over where they were. Then they went to Antioch. They're like, we need to get close with the cities that are near us because this is where the emperor chose. The bishop of Antioch was one of the people who was most against Eusebius. He has to play nice because they've been reinstated. So Theognis, Eusebius, they go in. Um, uh, actually, you know what's funny, Justina? Someone just wrote the plot thickens. I literally named this section plot thickens. Um, so they go to Antioch um, and they're having a dinner party because that's what people do all the time, including us till this day. All we do is eat. So they get together. Everything seems so chill. And suddenly, in the middle of this dinner, the bishop of Antioch who's there is accused of some kind of major scandal. And there's a bunch of bishops there and the bishop does not react. And so Theognis and Eusebius right away, like we need to depose this guy. He's clearly disgusting. Get rid of him. There's no trial, there's no nothing. He's deposed. And they go to the emperor saying, oh, good thing we were there <laughs> by fluke. We were there and this horrible person, we, we excommunicated him. Uh, we need to get a bishop in there ASAP. So they do. And of course they put an Aryan bishop in there. Um, then they're like, now our major obstacle is gonna be Athanasius. And we can't deal with Athanasius the same way that we dealt with this Antiochian guy. Athanasius is a diva, he's strong, everyone loves him. So what are we gonna do about St. Athanasius? So they're like, okay, we need to play power. So they write to Athanasius saying, um, I don't know if you're aware, but Constantine, your emperor, has now understood that the Arian view was correct. Like, that's how they phrase it. Not that like Arius allegedly accepted the creed, but that Constantine has come to believe that this view is the correct view. Therefore, Athanasius, you should receive him into communion. This is why Athanasius is Athanasius. Athanasius says, I don't care. He says, neither threat nor persecution, is what he writes to him formally, neither threat nor persecution will be able to have me go against Nicaea. Arius has been condemned ecumenically. End of story. Do with it what you want. So Eusebius writes the emperor and says, you know, Athanasius is just too young. It's like Trudeau. He just wasn't ready. <laughs> Okay. That's their slogan. So they're like, he's too young. Look at the guy. He's stubborn. He fights, right? Like, is this your man for Alexandria? Really? Right? Um, so the emperor listened. And they're like, you need, you need to put him in his place. Okay? He's not listening to you. So the emperor writes, Hathanasius saying, it is my good pleasure, which means emperor's will is divine will. Do it. It is my pleasure that anybody wishing to have communion, have Arius, be admitted. Remember that Arius is from the Diocese of Alexandria. He's under Athanasius' domain. Okay? So that's what the emperor writes to Athanasius, and that if he refuses, he'll be deposed. 
this is one of the reasons that I can't stand Constantine. He doesn't have authority to control the vision, but whatever. What did Athanasius say in response? Beast. It is impossible for the universal church to hold communion with those who deny the divinity of the Son of God and are who are therefore fighting against him. Period. The emperor actually was impressed by his boldness. I was like, oh, the guy's pretty strong, man. Like, good for him. Right? So he actually lets it go. So the Arians get really upset. So remember those Miletians we talked about that were in schism? This is where they come in. Remember, the Arius was originally one of them. So now they're like, okay, this Arians versus Athanasius scheme, it ain't working. Let's get the Miletians, who are also condemned at Nicaea, by the way. Okay? So they're like, let's get these Miletians on board, these schismatics in Alexandria, and they can have the opposition going. So the Miletians are more than happy. They're, they would love to be part of this, this thing. So the Miletians, keep in mind, they're all chilling in Nicomedia. That's apparently the best hangout in the fourth century. So everyone's in Nicomedia, and these Miletians who happen to be in the city, they're sent to the emperor after speaking to the Arians. And so they go in and they say, you know what, your, your royal majesty, your greatness, your whatever, okay? Do you know that Athanasius stopped? Um, no, wait, that wasn't the first accusation. Because um, that one's important. Oh, he imposed an illegal tax on the people, which is him exercising royal power, not episcopal. By providence, two priests from Alexandria who were also chilling in Nicomedia um, happened to be there and they're like, no, he didn't. Um, and so that plan didn't go over well. That one got foiled. So then, um, but the emperor had already told Athanasius um, about the issue, but he said, you know what, come visit. Right after the first accusation against him was, was, was quashed, they come visit. Now the, the, the Arians are super nervous. They're like, no, 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 no. If he comes and wins over the emperor, we're going to go back into exile. We can't have that. So before Athanasius arrives, they're already scheming up a new accusation, okay? That they told him that um, Athanasius was secretly sending gold to a rebel group that was planning to cause an insurrection against the empire, the emperor. They're really creative. Um, this plan was foiled as well. Um, and so the emperor himself was like, okay, I find the guy innocent. Like, you guys need to, to stop. And this is where Anthony, for the first time, Anthony gets on being like, guys, like this is this is a good man, okay? But we'll get to what he does later. Next accusation, okay? They're going nuts. They're going absolutely nuts. So the next accusation is that there's this priest, a Miletian priest, who um, actually had really just gone rogue, but whatever. That during liturgy, and this guy has never been ordained, by the way but they're accusing this whole story. During liturgy, um, Athanasius sent people to desecrate the altar, to burn the host, to burn the holy books, and to commit sacrilege in the church. Um, so Athanasius, I love this man. He, he's like, I don't care. Say what you're going to say. He doesn't go to the, the emperor crying. He doesn't even show up. He sends through a couple of witnesses and letters. It's like, A, there's no church in that priest village. None exists. Sorry. B, he's not a priest. 
He was never ordained. Um, C, if you want to ask his family, his friends, and the whole village, uh, Guy has been sick in bed for a long time. So no boots, no, 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 no beatings, no bruises. The guy's sick in bed. So if you want to go find him, go for it. But this isn't true. So then the emperor has had enough, right? Oh, sorry, there was one more. Sorry, this one's a really good one, and it's going to come up again later. They told him, the emperor, that, that um, there was a priest, uh, sorry, a bishop, a Miletian bishop named Arsenius, and that Ath Athanasius had actually deposed him for refusing Nicaea, because Nicaea had, had put to, to rest the Miletians. So he was deposed. But he went into hiding. The guy became AWOL. Nobody knew where he went. He like went into some seclusion. So because he was conveniently gone, the Miletians said, Athanasius killed him. Not only did Athanasius kill him, he chopped off one of his hands. This is for real. He chopped off one of his hands and kept it for witchcraft. And we even have his hands. We discovered it. Um, and so Athanasius has the people find Arsenius. And he's like, dude's alive. Um, I don't know how I killed him, right? So Constantine is like, okay, enough is enough. Okay, guys, just stop. And so they're quiet for a little bit. So Eusebius is like, this is a problem, right? I need to fix it. How can I get rid of Athanasius? So he's in Nicomedia, chilling with the emperor. And he says to him, you know, because this is how politics happen. It's in these conversations. It's in these side things. It's not just like randomness, right? He's like, you know, Emperor, think about it. Look how many accusations there were against Athanasius. Where there's smoke, there's fire. Something's going on, right? So maybe he was able to find himself innocent. But you know what? Um, Athanasius has powerful friends, Your Majesty. He has really powerful friends. You know, if you want to get to the heart of the matter, you should bring him face to face with his accusers in person without powerful friends. Constantine fell for this. Okay, so Constantine summons Athanasius for a council to be presided over by all Arian bishops, right? And so Athanasius is like, I'm not going. What's the point of going to this? Right? Like, are, are we for real? So at first, he refuses to go because like, there's not going to be justice. Eventually, he's like, okay, it makes me look guilty if I don't go. I'll go, right? So he goes. Um, and the emperor also, to be honest, threatened to jail him. I don't know how much that mattered. I don't think that mattered much to Athanasius because he was threatened with his life before and he didn't care. So 60 bishops came to this meeting. Almost all of them are Arians um, and open enemies of Athanasius. The Miletians are all present. Athanasius stood up as a criminal and the few Egyptian bishops with him protested that he's being treated like a criminal, but they were ignored. And all of the old charges are brought up again. So Athanasius actually spoke up that all accusers were enemies. Like he spoke up. He's like, is it not messed up that every accuser here is a known enemy? Like that hates my guts? Nobody cared. So they started going through the old like, accusations that we just talked about one by one saying, well, you got away with it because of your friends. And then Athanasius, honestly, he is so funny. Like, you need to read the accounts of these trials. Because when, when they got to the dead Arsenius issue, Athanasius totally rocked them. It was priceless. Athanasius 
had them, he had Arsenius somehow brought to Nicomedia. Um, and they did not know this. They did not know that he was there. So as they're, 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 they're giving dramatic stories, he did this and he did this and he did this. Athanasius is like, yeah, that's, that's so terrible. That's so terrible. Did you guys know him? Were you close to him? And like, yes, the poor man of blessed memory that you killed, you evil man. He's like, yeah, yeah, okay, you're right. I'm, that's terrible. So if you saw him, you'd recognize him. He's like, can you guys bring in Arsenius? Okay, so Arsenius comes in. And so he goes, okay, here's Arsenius. Do you recognize him? You're close friends. Okay, and then he lifts his galibay on the one arm. And then and he goes, here's his first hand. Here's his second hand. You have the third hand with you. I have never heard of God giving someone a third hand, but maybe, maybe he got one. Um, can someone here tell me where does the third hand go? Um, he ripped them. I love this man. <laughs> um, and so, and, and, and the emperor is not at this council. He started and he left, right? So he's like, this is so stupid. Like, this is ridiculous. So the militians that had accused him of that, they exit scene, exit stage left. They're off the stage. Um, they're like, hey, this is not going well for us. Uh, but the Aryans that remained, this is the stupidity when people just want to make a point. They're like, aha, sorcery. He did this by magic. And Athanasius literally goes, seriously? <laughs> so he leaves. He's like, no, nah, I'm not staying for this meeting. This is so dumb. Um, so he gets up and he's like, I, I, go, I'm going to go talk to the emperor. Right? So he starts off for Nicomedia. And he does something like he's bold. Athanasius is bold. He puts himself in front of the emperor who's on his horse riding. This can give you death penalty in those days. This is, this is not a small thing. He literally stands with the emperor and he's not moving. Where it's like, if the emperor doesn't stop, that's why it's so sacrilegious. Where he's like, he's forcing the emperor to stop for him as opposed to the opposite. So he just stands and the emperor is forced to stop. And, and Athanasius' finger comes out and says, the Lord judge between me and you if you take part, the part of my enemies against me. The matters of the church leave to the princes of the church and the matters of the state leave to the prince of the state, right? So again, Constantine is actually moved by this. Um, and then he says, what do you want? And Athanasius says, let me be tried. You know, take me to court. Do it. Take me to court. But a legal, a lawful counsel. Or bring my accusers face to face while you're present. Because you walked out of that sham show. Okay. Um, Constantine says, okay. So Constantine, the, the Arians who at the council that Athanasius left, they depose him. But their council was sanctioned by the emperor. So in their view, they have legally deposed Athanasius as bishop. Um, so some of them uh, were partying their success of ha ha ha, we got him. And then they find out that Emperor Constantine is summoning them. So some of them freak out and go home with their tail between their legs. Um, the rest of them rally together. Now, as they rally together, Eusebius, Theognis, and all of them, they're like, listen, Athanasius has clearly won this fight. We can't go to the emperor and rehash those accusations. So recently, like close to that time, Constantine had had one of his friends killed for a crime. And Constantine wasn't really a nice guy. 
The crime that the guy was killed for was that um, he had stopped grain ships um, or food ships from reaching Rome to force a famine because Rome was dependent on getting food from the outside. And he was doing this to have exert control over the empire so that they could get Constantine to succumb. So like, you know what? This problem is fresh on the emperor's mind. That's what we're going to tell the emperor he did. So when they get to the emperor, the emperor forgets all these accusations. Your man, he stopped the grain ships. What are you going to do about that? Constantine loses it. Right? And he was like, you should be killed. But only because of my mercy, I'm going to put you into exile instead. I will banish you instead of killing you. You should be dead. Um, so that's the first exile. Um, he's exiled to France, to Gaul. Um, the, actually, people start appealing. Um, this is where there's a tradition... There's a story in the life of Antony about him writing a letter to the emperor. What is left out in here is that there's a tradition that when he finally wrote to the emperor, he was appealing for, for Athanasius. That in his letter, he also requested from him. I, that's a, a small T tradition, not a capital T tradition. So um, it wouldn't, I don't think it would be totally out of character, but it didn't matter to Constantine, right? He was exiled. So now the Arians are... In, they're, they're in hysteria for joy. We got rid of Athanasius, right? We are now in control. We've taken down Antioch. We've taken down uh, Alexandria. We own Rome and we own the East. We win, right? That's how they're viewing this. So now the Bishop of Constantinople, this new city built so humbly after Constantine while he's alive, um, He's put in a really tough spot. He's now told, Arius is coming, give him communion. And he's been welcomed back in the church and he believes. So poor Bishop, his name was Alexander as well. Um, Bishop Alexander is like, I don't know what to do. So he calls on his whole um, see, the whole city of Constantinople and says, join me in prayer. Join me in prayer. That, we, that God's will be done. I don't know what to do. I, have no, I don't have a reason to say no. Legally, he appears to have been uh, returned to the faith. I don't believe him, but I don't have a choice. Um, so they, they prayed. Arius comes into the city, and he's paraded by the Arians. Literally, they have a procession for him, and they go nuts. Alexander goes into the church and says, Lord, if Arius is going to be received to communion in this church tomorrow, I beg you, kill me. I don't want to be the one to do it. I don't believe him. Have, kill me. Or step in and fix this. But if you have pity on the church, don't allow this thing to happen, God. This is the power of prayer, right? Um, at the end of Arius's procession, he starts feeling sick. He's on his way to church, and he says, please excuse me. Um, I have to go to the bathroom. Arius, pardon my vulgarity, he poops out his insides and dies on the toilet, literally. Um, he dies in the most vulnerable place, the most disgusting death. Um, no one could be accused of doing it to him. 
right? Like, because he was by himself on the camp. So no one could be accused of having done anything to him. Nobody was. And it shook the emperor to the core, right? Where it was just like, oh, man, um, that's not normal, right? So um, Athanasius is usually <laughs> nice. Don't read what he wrote about it because he's... <laughs> He has a field day with it. He's like, and he dies on the can. And he, he's hilarious when he talks about it. But um, the emperor freaks out because the emperor himself was dying. So he actually sends a message to have Athanasius restored to Alexandria. Um, and then he's baptized by Eusebius and Arian um, and dies a few days later. Just saying. Um, the empire is then divided between his three sons, Constantine, Constance, and Constantius. He really is feeling himself with the names. Um, the two, the first two um, are pro-Athanasius, Constantius is not. The first two, as we're gonna see, they die, they both die within a, within a year, but we'll get to them because they, they play a role. So the Arians, sorry, my bad. Uh, so Alexander, uh, sorry, Athanasius is restored. These guys reign. So Constantine II um, orders Athanasius back to Alexandria after two years exile. Um, and the people were state of Alexandria were so happy. They were singing, they greeted him on the shores. It was, it was a feast day. Um, it's not the biggest celebration they have. That one's coming soon, right? Like, I think it's phenomenal. So the Arians, however, are like, nope, this is not okay. So they put an Arian bishop named Gregory in Athanasius' place in Egypt using political power, the governor of Egypt, um, uh, they, they, they got this bishop put in. So the governor of Egypt, sorry, that's a separate point. The governor of Egypt is like, this isn't going to go well, guys. Like, this, this is not going to go well. The people love Athanasius. So he actually um, calls on Emperor Constantius saying, dude, like, can you please get rid of this Gregory guy? Like, this is going to be trouble. And he's like, no. You keep him, and then he removed the governor and replaced him. So um, don't mess with uh, Egyptians, because um, Gregory enters Egypt with an army, seizing churches, imprisoning people, scourging people, killing people. Um, and so what Athanasius does, Athanasius has been back. Athanasius is like, I don't want my people to die. So he leaves again voluntarily which is not counted as among his exiles, but he gets up and goes. Um, you'll see what I mean by don't mess by Egyptians in a moment. So the Egyptian bishops, they refuse Gregory. Like, we don't know who you think you are. You're not our Pope. See you later, man. Um, Gregory starts killing people. That Bishop Potaman that we talked about is a confessor at Nicaea. They actually kill him now, okay? Um, after four years of this guy's um, tyranny, um, the people rise up in a mob <laughs> and they kill him. <laughs> so they, they, they actually murder Gregory. Um, don't mess with Egyptians. So Pope Julius <laughs> of Rome receives Athanasius as a hero. So, I, so Pope Athanasius traveled to Rome and like, I need to go talk to one of the emperors who's on my side, who's still alive, right? So he's gone there. The Bishop of Rome receives Athanasius as a hero. Um, and he even tries to fix that council um, because the reason why the Arians are, are able to do anything is they're saying, well, we had a council where we deposed him that Constantine ratified. We're allowed to do this, 
right? So Julius is like, let's try and solve this. Let's have another council and exonerate you. Okay, so he's like, let's have a local one and, and do that. So he starts going through with that, um, but no Aryans come. The ones who've accused him won't come, and that's a problem because it's me, just us versus them. Eventually, Eusebius dies. Thank God, no offense. Um, the Aryans um, make a new creed, and they send it to Pope Julius, and he's like, Nabi, this is not the creed. We have a creed. It's from Nicaea. Deal with that. So then eventually the Arians are like, okay, let's, if we want to get past the stalemate, let's meet with them. So they go to Rome and they meet with Pope Julius. Um, and then Athanasius is proved innocence, innocent. So the Arians get mad, they leave, they have another council and they depose him again. So it's just literally like, let's all have meetings every other week and just depose one another back and forth. So it, it breaks down. So the emperors, um, Constance and Constantius are the two that are alive at this point. Constance is pro-Athanasius, Constantius is anti, um, but Constance has more power, okay? So Constance bullies, this is why politics and church don't mix. Even when you think it's in, in favor of the church, it's never a good idea because Constance pressures Constantius to accept Athanasius, but that makes Constantius have an even more vendetta against Athanasius on a personal level. Right, and basically Constance says, if you don't send Athanasius back, let's just say we're gonna be dealing with a civil war and let's be real, I will own you if we go to war. So Constantius backs off for that reason. So Athanasius goes back um, to Egypt and they have now not seen him for six whole years. For six years, the Pope has been taken from them and they wait for him on the shores of the Mediterranean, singing hymns, singing Evlogi Menos, um, which is what we sing for the Pope when he comes. I wonder, I wonder if we sing that because of Athanasius. I don't know um, when the Pope comes, because that's the, the hymn that we do sing for the bishops when they arrive. Um, they were waving palm branches. They laid up, laid up carpets from the shores all the way to the cathedral um, to welcome like their beloved father that they had screamed, give us Athanasius too. Um, they're, they're in hysteria for joy, right? Like this is the moment of glory for the, for the church. Athanasius, just so you get a sense of who this man was, he pardons any returning Arians, no questions asked. Anyone who joined the Arians, said, no problem. Recite the creed, you're welcome. Recite the creed, you're welcome. Don't worry about it. Absolution is for all. I pardon you all, just like Peter, his, his predecessor. Um, and he went right back to teaching, right back to writing, explaining what was wrong, providing the poor, the widows, the orphans, ordained new bishops, um, strengthened monasticism. He wrote and wrote and wrote and wrote. It was a golden period. It's one of the highest periods of the, of the church. And the saints of Egypt were flourishing. This is where we have so many saints during this period. Um, but the fire was coming back. Constance dies. And Constantius becomes the sole emperor now of the whole empire. Julius dies and is replaced by another pope. Constantius tells the new bishop of Rome, Liberius, to condemn Athanasius. He refuses. So he's sent into exile. So Pope of Rome actually ends up getting sent into exile too. In 354, the churches are packed for Easter. Okay, so this is roughly 20 years after the council. Okay. The Church of Alexandria becomes so strong, so packed that they have no room for people in churches. 
And so the emperor had built a church in Alexandria that hadn't been consecrated yet. So people are like, Sayyidina, pray in that church because there's no room. Like you need to pray there. Okay. And so Athanasius was like, well, I don't know. It has been consecrated. Technically, it's the emperor's property. I didn't ask him. Like Sayyidina, I mean, you need to, et cetera, et cetera. They pressure him. He says yes. This enrages the emperor. Okay. Of how dare you. How dare you use my property without my permission? Who do you think you are? Keep in mind, Constantius already hated Athanasius. He had only allowed his return because of pressure from his, from his brother. Right? So Athanasius writes a letter explaining himself, defending himself. It's called the Apology to, to Constantius, which means defense in Old English. Um, and the Pope doesn't care. And he says, you know, this has happened in history before. My predecessor, Theonis, this happened to him too. Um, and he's like, I don't care. Um, so the people told them, don't worry about it. The emperor is angry. And so now new charges are made up and a new council is held, um, by the emperor saying, we're going for Athanasius and he's pro Arian. Now he's gathered all the Arians, like we're taking this guy down. So the Arians are like, this is, this is excellent. Right? So Pope Liberius is ban banished. And then suddenly an Arian general is sent to Alexandria. And he's very quiet. So everyone's like, why are you here? There's nothing. I come in peace. And for two weeks, nothing, sorry, for three weeks, nothing happens. Then during a vigil service in the church after St. Theonis, this general comes with 5,000 men and surrounds the church um, where they were planning to arrest and kill Athanasius. Athanasius is aware they can hear the hove outside. He's a beast. And Athanasius says to everybody, read Psalm 135. In the, it's a two again, 136 in the KJV, which we sing every Tazbaha. They were doing Tazbaha. Oh, give thanks unto the Lord for he is good. For his mercy endures forever. Oh, give thanks unto the God of gods. He has them sing that. And so the people are like, um, you know, Athanasius, that's really sweet and cute and everything, but um, you need to go. They're here to kill you. And Athanasius responds saying, the place of the shepherd is with his flock. I am staying put. Um, and so the soldiers start rushing the church and it starts getting violent. And so they're begging him to leave and Athanasius won't budge. He's literally standing there praying. And so the people take him by force and they say, we are not going to let you die, sorry. And they literally storm him out of the church. And he goes right through the guards who know who he is and nothing happens to him. And so when they wrote about the incident later, they're like, it's like, it's like they were blinded to his presence. And I really believe that like what happened with the Lord when he just walks through his aggressors. So he gets out um, and leaves. And then the emperor is so angry that all Orthodox bishops in Alexandria are exiled or imprisoned. The church is in shambles. They're all gone, right? Like, this is, this, is, this is scary, right? This is not a day in the life. Imagine if every single one of your priests in one day is arrested or shipped off, every single one of them, right? This is what's going on in the church. Um, so all the Orthodox bishops are exiled in prison. Anthony the Great was on his deathbed. Um, and this is where you can see how meaningful it must have been to St. Athanasius what he did, right? Is that St. Anthony arose and he comforted the people and said, I've had a vision. I know this is happening. This is going to pass. 
And I think it's also for this reason, as he was dying during his time, that he sent his sheepskin to Athanasius as a gift, right? It was his way of saying, I'm with you. The desert is with you, right? Don't, don't, um, I don't want to get all serious. Don't lose hope, right? Like the, the, the voice of, of, of monasticism, it stands with you, Athanasius. So the emperor ordered all churches to be seized and handed to the Arians. Churches were invaded, altars desecrated, vestments, and books were burned. Priests, monks, and nuns were seized and tortured. Simony prevailed. They would buy, buy bishoprics, right, with this new regime. And the people stayed faithful. They're like, we have nothing to do with them. We're loyal to our real pope and to our real bishops. We're not going to have any communion with you. The emperor now sent them George of Cappadocia as a new patriarch. George of Cappadocia was a businessman. He used to sell port to the Roman army. That's the emperor's elect for patriarch. Um, he had been ordained a priest by the Arians before he even converted to Christianity. So he was a good businessman. His goal was to make money. So he enters Alexandria, and if Gregory had been bad, the one that they killed, George is better, right? George burned down monasteries. He started killing ascetics. Um, and he was given authority by the emperor to command the emperor's troops. Then he was like, okay, this bishop thing is boring. I don't have any people. I would like to have political power too. So then he took political power. He started passing laws that forced people to buy. He had made a coffin business and passed a law that you are not allowed to do a, a funeral if you don't use my coffins, right? So it was, it was, it was ridiculous. It was a business deal. Athanasius was in hiding, and he was writing letter after letter after letter, and it was driving the Arians crazy because they couldn't shut him up, right? Just him being in exile made him have time for more and more writing, um, and he tore everything um, apart. But he was so comforting. He wrote to his people, this is from one of the festal letters, God will comfort you. This is right after he found out the churches were closed. And this is so relevant to us today with our churches closed. I thought it was really beautiful. He says, God will comfort you. If they have the temples, you have the faith of the apostles. If they are in the place, the building, they are far from the faith. But you, even if you are cast out from the churches, possess the faith in your hearts. Which is greater, the place or the faith? The place is good only when the faith of the apostles is taught there. It is holy only when it is the home of holiness. So he's a boss. Um, so he might have been hiding with the monks during this time who protected him. They were helping him. The, the monks are like, they're, they're, they're beasts, guys. Like they literally, when they hear that the soldiers are coming, they chip him off, right? So he'd go from monastery to monastery to monastery. He was undercover, right? And he lived with them as a monk. And that's why um, I like this picture of him because I like it being shown as him being a monastic because he, he, he functioned as a monastic among them, lived as a monastic. And even though he wasn't tonsured a monk, they, they learned monasticism from him too in his spirituality um, when he was with them. And he treated them like brothers and equals, not as his, as his servants. He would ask them spiritual questions. He would ask them their advice that they adored him. They adored um, this, this Pope. Um, and then the irony is that the Arians who were refusing to call Jesus God, started calling Constantius the Eternal. They gave him a title of God, whatever. Um, but Athanasius remained father and bishop. 
He consoled and gave comfort to his people. His writings reached all the way to the west to Hilary of Poitiers, who was like Athanasius of the West. He was fighting the good fight in the West. And when he heard and, and read from Athanasius' letter, it gave him strength to keep on the fight on his side. I'm so sorry for how long this is, guys. It's just, it's a good story. Um, so George, um, uh, he lived in the monks. Oh, I forgot to say that George of Cappadocia had skipped town because he, the governor was like, dude, if you don't get out of here, remember Gregory, <laughs> they're going to do it to you. Um, because at this point, it wasn't just the Christians that hated him. So did the pagans. Everyone hated him um, because he was evil and a tyrant to everybody. So um, at this point, after a few years of, of Athens is gone, George of Cappadocia decides to come back. Um, big mistake because within a few days of his return, Emperor Constantius dies. George gets seized by, by the pagans this time, and they literally tore his flesh to pieces. And then they burnt his body, and then they took his ashes and scattered it in the winds to say, you are no more. Um, it was really violent. Who became emperor? Julian the Apostate, um, who had been a pupil of Eusebius of Nicomedia. This is the craziest story in history, okay? Who had gone to school with St. Basil and St. Gregory Nazianzen, but who was always a closet pagan. Um, and this is why if you have bad discipleship, I'm sorry, okay, look at who his teacher was, Eusebius, you produce bad fruit. And that's why Eusebius, that's why Julius is like, I'm sorry, Julian is like, this ain't, no, this isn't real. So Julian, immediately his emperor says, back to paganism, folks. This thing, not happening. He's like, cancel Constantine, cancel all of that. Christianity is legal. You're allowed to be Christian. But religion of the empire, guys, it's paganism. So he starts off with this thing of being uh, very tolerant. He says, anybody who was cast out by Constantius, welcome home. You can go home. I don't care what your belief is. But he had an agenda. And he's written about this. This is not just an accusation. He believed that divide and conquer. If these people were actually went back, it was going to cause more fights. People would see how dumb Christianity is and they'd become pagans. But that's not what happened. Instead, Athanasius goes home and everybody is excited again. And just like before, let everybody back. And then people were so um, moved by him that many pagans. Um, actually started converting to Christianity. They're like, you got to give it to him. This Athanasius guy, like he's not, he's a good guy. Um, and so they were so moved by his decorum when he came back and how gentle he was that a really famous pagan in the city, a famous woman was like, no, nah, I, I, I'm joining the Nazarenes. Give me Jesus. Um, and so she goes through catechism. She gets um, baptized and chrismated. And this gets um, Emperor Julian so angry because this was not what he thought was gonna happen. He wanted paganism to win. So then he writes um, uh, to Athanasius because the, he had reinstituted sorcerers, witches, priests, like pagan priests and stuff everywhere. So the people in Alexandria, this shows you the spirituality of Athanasius, they wrote to the emperor saying, all of our magic has stopped working since Athanasius returned to the city. And so um, 
he gets mad, the emperor gets mad, and he writes to the Alexandrians saying, I am so painfully surprised, you Alexandrians. Any, any historian, if you read about Julian, it's not just from a Christian perspective. The guy is a dimwit. Um, he thinks he's really sophisticated. He's not. Um, he tries to be really, really deep. His poetry sucks. His philosophy sucks. And, and, and he was really like trying to live up the role of, I'm so deep. So he says to them, I'm so surprised that you Alexandrians who have the great god Serapis and Isis, his queen for your patrons, should ask permission to keep Athanasius in your midst because he had said, get Athanasius out of there. And so the governor says, no, 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 this is going to cause a riot, keep him. So he's saying, what's wrong with you people? You have Serapis, you have Isis. Um, I can only hope that those of the citizens who are wiser have not been consulted um, and that this is the action of law. And he's saying, now I'm saying, if Ath he originally said, get Athanasius out of Alexandria. He's like, now I'm saying, if he doesn't get out of Egypt, his head's on a platter. Get the guy out of Egypt now. So they're like, okay. So to be sure that his order is carried out, Julian sent out soldiers to Athanasius to kill on site if Athanasius is in Egypt. Okay. So they get to Egypt. Athanasius is like, no big deal, guys. Like, seriously, like, been there, done that, bought the t-shirt. Um, going into, like, exile number three or four at this point. Cool. No problem. It's not about me. It's about God. Stand fast. Be faithful. Ain't nothing new to us. Um, so Athanasius goes into incognito mode again. Nobody is going to, they love him. Nobody will turn him in. Can you imagine? I'm sorry. Think of, like, telling 10 people a secret and asking 10 people to keep a secret. Like, practically the whole nation of Egypt knew where Athanasius was and nobody was giving him up, <laughs> right? Like, a lot of people knew where he was and no one was saying, because they're moving him. They know where he is, right? And no one is, that's how much they love this man. So the Pope of Alexandria is there. The guy comes, Athanasius hasn't left yet. So um, Athanasius was going to get on a boat on the Nile and go south to the Thebate, Rekomusis, right? So he's like, hey, back to the monks. So he gets on a boat. The soldiers have seen them from a distance. They're in hot pursuit. Athanasius is on his boat. They start rowing, 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 rowing. And then suddenly Athanasius is like, stop. Turn around. Go back. And they're like, are you psycho? <laughs> You're being pursued. And he goes, trust me. Just trust me. I love this man because he's hilarious and brilliant and holy at the same time. So they turn around and sure enough, the emperor's men are in a boat in hot pursuit and they see this boat and they're like, have you seen Athanasius? Um, because they're pursuing him. They don't recognize him. And Athanasius, <laughs> sorry, he's just so funny. Athanasius goes, he is not far from you. Carry on. <laughs> and so they keep going towards <laughs> the Thebaid and Athanasius goes back to where he came from. Um, and <laughs> he's safe. He's quite close. Press on. So he waits a few days, and then he gets in the boat and actually goes to the Thebaid um, and evades um, their, their capture. Um, Julian, so, um, so he's there for a little bit. Julian switched at that point from being tolerant to savage. And again, like you read history, Julian's, Julian's like a psychopath, man. Like he grew his fingernails as long as he could. He wouldn't comb his hair. He would stand in the forum and start like preaching poetry and philosophy. He would do these oaths to the gods and his own contemporary pagans were like, what's wrong with this guy? Like he's not right in the head. So it's not just a Christian view, the guy is messed. So we now go to his last exile, okay? Exile number five. When Athanasius reaches the Thebaid, 
they still partied. Um, they did this, um, like they were just so happy to have him back. They're like, is back. Um, so there's a monastery party. Um, although it was tainted with some sadness because there were many bishops and people killed during this as well. So there's, it was this mixed thing. Um, but Athanasius, like our Lord, he, read, he rode on a donkey um, to the monastery. Um, and the procession was led by Theodore, St. Pachomius' disciple that had taken over. Pachomius had since died. And so now St. Theodore um, took over. And they sung hymns and the monks were so joyful. He got back to monastic life. Um, and in one of his letters, he even refers to the monks. He says um, about the monks who are our fathers rather than we theirs. Like, I'm not their father. They're my fathers. Um, that's what he said as Pope. Um, so he was moved regularly around the south um, and then moved as far north as Fayum. Um, so while he was in, Theor in Fayum, Theodore came to visit him again um, and told him, um, why don't you come back to our monastery, because he was regularly switching. So he was like, right? we missed you, come, come back. Um, but soldiers were searching for them at the same time. They got word that Athanasius might be there. Um, and so it seemed like death was imminent. So Athanasius prayed. Um, and because he prayed, one of the monks thought he was af afraid. And so monk, so Athanasius like, I'm not afraid. He said, for many long years, I have suffered persecution. And never has it disturbed the peace of my soul. It's a joy to suffer. And the greatest of all joys to give one's life for Christ. Right? Like this, this, is, this is who Athanasius is. So they all prayed. They're on this boat. They're heading south. And then St. Theodore has a revelation on the boat. Um, and he tells them, Emperor Julian at this very moment has been killed. He's like, I just saw a vision. Julian is dead. Um, and he is going to, he's being succeeded by Jovian, a Christian. So he's like, Athanasius, you need to get to Jovian. Okay, you need to get to Jovian. So they get to the Thebaid because the boat was already going there. He gets off. Um, and so then he now has to take a boat back to Alexandria to go from Alexandria to Rome because of the way the water works, right, for his trip. But when he gets to Alexandria, before he even gets on a boat to go see the emperor, the emperor has already sent a letter to Alexandria um, and says, Athanasius, glory to God for everything you've done. Right, you're you're a confessor. You're a great man. Live in peace. Right, like you're restored. You are back to your place. You don't need to leave. I would love to see you, but you are restored to your um, to your seat. And he begged for Francis um, uh, to pray for him. And he says to him, "It's through your prayers that we hope for the blessing of God." This is like shocking, right? After all these emperors were this funny, it's like I like you. Right? Like, is this a joke? Is, is this real life? Um, so St. Athanasius is, is joyful. Um, but by providence, Athanasius said, I should still respond to his invite to come. I will go to him. And thank God he did. Because when he arrived, the Arians had already brought another candidate to be Pope of um, Alexandria. <laughs> and so they go to the, the thing, this guy doesn't rest. Can you imagine if that happened to you over and over and over? Like, I'd be like, game over. Peace out, guys. Like, I've had enough. Right. And so, but the emperor was firm. Okay. Um, he was like, I have ordered a to into his seat. They're like, no, but he's a convicted criminal. And he's like, yeah, we all know what that was based on. Like, uh, but actually, and he's like, there's no buts. I am sending him back. So that's final. Athanasius loves Jovian. 
in no time, Jovian dies. <laughs> and when Jovian dies, this poor, this poor pope, Emperor Valentinian rises to the throne and puts his brother Valens in charge of the East, who is an Arian. Okay? He was married to an Arian. He hates Epinesis. He sides with them. And persecution begins yet again. Okay? And it's like, seriously, Lord. Like, seriously. Um, so Valentinian... Valentin actually ends up getting baptized by an Arian bishop. Um, and during, the, during his first communion, during his first liturgy, the Arian priests make him vow in front of all the people that he will pursue and depose any non-Arians and that he is committed to the Arian cause for life. Like they made him vow it before having communion. Um, and so the Arians are like, this is great. So then, just to show you how evil this got, 80 priests go and protest, like, your, your majesty, what, what's wrong with you? And the emperor pretended to listen to them. He's like, mm -hmm, mm -hmm, yes, thank you. Um, and then he goes, you know, I, I could have you killed. He, he actually ordered them to be killed, but he pretended to be nice. He goes, I could have you killed, but instead I'll have you banished. So he was like, you're going to go into exile. But he did order them killed. So once they were on the boat to go into exile, he sent the guys who was to kill them, and they burned the ship down so that every single one of the 80 died. Okay, it was, it was, these are tough times. Like, this is not, when we talk about Athanasius, I don't know that we realize, like, what it, that looked like, right? Um, so, that happened, um, and more death happened, and then all of the provinces were ordered to banish anybody who um, Julian had allowed to return. So Athanasius is like, well, I actually wasn't brought back by Julian. He actually exiled me. I was brought back by Jovian. <laughs> so I'm staying put. Um, so he did stay put. And then the emperors that get him out of there and the governor literally um, uh, like messaging like, this is not okay. Like, like this is not going to happen. But that even didn't work. Um, so he went into voluntary exile in a house, St. Athanasius. He's like, okay, I don't want people to die. Um, and the day, this shows you God's providence, the day that Athanasius chose to go into hiding was the day he would have been killed. Because the, 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 the Arian and the emperor's men sent people to the church where Athanasius was known to be up late praying at to kill him. When they went there, they didn't find him because he had fled that very day. Um, so he went from that house that he was in to live in his own dad's tomb. Um, he's, he hid out in his dad's tomb and lived in there um, until um, uh, four months. He stayed there for four months until the governor finally said to the emperor, listen, if you want more blood, if you want more like um, bloodshed and people to go crazy and to take to the streets and demonstrations, then go for it, but let the guy go back. Um, and so the emperor, who hated not like like non-Aryans, actually allowed him to return. Um, and so Athanasius returns to the city. Um, Athanasius would live in peace, but at this point he's really old, right? He's really really old. Um, and for the last for the last seven years, he got to spend the last seven years with his people. Um, he exhorted them, he comforted them, he wrote. Um, and you've got to remember that at this point, almost nobody's alive anymore who is at Nicaea. 
right? This is one of the beauties and the graces that it was that Athanasius was so young when I see it happen, because now the proper faith had been started to come back. Um, and he got a sense of comfort because in Rome that had been taken over and as a direct influence by the emperor, the Roman bishop set up a, a decree. Nobody would be allowed to be consecrate, consecrated bishop without reciting the Creed of Nicaea. So it was a big comfort for Athanasius in his own life. He'll say, thank you, Lord, that I got to see some victory for you, not for me, right, before I go. Um, so he was being written to by all sorts of bishops. Gregory Nazianzus, for example, saying, give us a word, tell us what to believe, give us instruction. You're a legend, man, right? Like, you're, 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 you're the guy who, who lived through it all, right? How, what do we do? Like, ortho, he got to see the fruit of his labors, right? Valens' persecution raged on, but Athanasius' resilience inspired resilience from others. They saw him as their standard, as their banner, saying, if Athanasius will, then we will. That's why there's the famous saying where they came to Athanasius at one point and said, Athanasius, the whole world is against you. And he responded saying, and by the grace of God, I am against the world, right? He stood for his truth, um, not his truth, but for the truth. After 48 years of papacy, um, the immortal, that's what his name means, Athanasius, um, succumbed, succumbed to fleshly mortality. He was Pope, theologian, ascetic, monk, martyr, confessor, true Christian. He was a compassionate, guiding light, stalwart defender. He's the reason the Christian church is what it is today, right? Without Athanasius, we wouldn't be here today, literally. We wouldn't be a Christian church. If Athanasius didn't have the conviction of faith, we wouldn't be Christians today. If Athanasius didn't know the faith, we would be so messed up today. Right? If Athanasius didn't have the spiritual grounding that he was able to win over all of his people in love, because it would have been the easiest thing for the people of Alexander to say, we don't even like him, get rid of him, we're fine. But because also of his virtue, right, that that is what helped him to remain through all of this. I, I, Athanasius is an unsung hero. He is an unsung hero. No amount of praise, no amount of credit will, will, will ever be enough to say who Athanasius is. Right? Those of you who have, read, have been read on the Incarnation, you need to read it. When you read it and see this man had this vision, he was writing what became the masterpiece, the most definitive piece on the Incarnation of our Lord in the history of Christianity. He wrote at the age of 20. Every denomination uses that book. Right? That's, that's the man that Athanasius was. That's why St. Gregory Nazianzen, shortly after his death, wrote about him. And the first line of it that's become very famous is this whole treatise on Athanasius. He says, in praising Athanasius, I shall be praising virtue. To speak of him and to praise virtue are identical. Because he had, or to speak more truly, has embraced virtue in its entirety. May his prayers and his blessings and his intercession be with us now in all his ages. Amen. I'm sorry that that was long but i didn't want to abbreviate it because of who he is i'm really really sorry i hope you guys aren't bored out of your mind um any uh so total number of exiles official is five i think voluntary might make it six if i read it properly um and the majority the majority it's like the works yes it is um the majority of his papacy was in exile and look at what he did there's a really cool book I found this by accident. I wanted to use it tonight, but it's in, it's in my cell in California. Um, 
there's a book called The History of the Monks of Upper Egypt. And there's a striking piece in it because there's this really cool story where um, these bishops um, that are in southern Egypt, very close to Sudan, um, they go to, one of them goes to St. Athanasius and says, I, I need your help. He's like, what? And he goes, I'm racist. This shocked me. Like, I never would have thought we'd find this in the writing. And like, he's like, I don't really like black people. I'm sorry, this is, this is what he said. He goes, I'm struggling. And Athanasius gives him a treatise, a whole sermon, a beautiful sermon on love. And says, how do you be God's servant if you don't love everyone? Um, it, was, it was so beautiful. I wanted to use it. It's not very long, but I, it, my, my book is over there. Uh, who wrote his life? Um, there's a bunch of biographies, but not many ancient ones. Gregory Nazianzen wrote um, an oration, like a speech on, 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 on Athanasius, but not a full um, life of Athanasius. You can find his life also in the lives, the lives of the patriarchs by uh, St. Severus uh, Ibn Mukhafa. I don't know how to say that word right. Um, that's available freely online. You don't even need to, 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 to buy that. Um, that has a tale of his life. Uh, you can also find an academic one in the lives of the popes of Alexandria from American University in Cairo Press. Um, that was done like a decade back, there's four volumes. Um, those are all, I would highly recommend those as, as good sources. Um, for, and I really recommend, for those of you who are not into heavy reading, the book that I mostly summarized from is written as fiction and it's awesome. It's an easy read that you can probably even finish in one sitting. It's called, it's just called St. Athanasius by Francis Forbes. Um, we used it in servants training in Kitchener once and I won't put him on blast right now, but one guy who never reads, and I'm saying this because he joked about saying that, because I never read and I read that book. Um, it's a really, really, really good book. Um, highly recommend it to share with, that, with others. Anthony Barsoum, how are you, my friend? Um, how can we, I see you, how can we as Christians try and reach a level of virtue knowledge like St. Athanasius? Um, know your faith, man. I think that our generation doesn't take faith seriously, right? But here's a guy who, like as a kid, had memorized baptismal rites, right? Here's a guy who had so much conviction that he did not care about the prestige of the emperor, right? He's like, those, right? Like, threaten me, go for it. I don't care, right? Because he wasn't standing on his own personal thing. He's standing on the truth. So I would say that we need, to, we need to be more committed. We need to know our faith. We need to know who we are um, so that we're not swayed. Like, look at how many of us are so nervous to say, anything about our faith in a secular environment. We're so scared. Well, Athanasius's people had reached a point where he was in the same position as us. There was almost no real Christians left. They were all in hiding. But they, they, they held firm. So I would say it's, it's, it's be real. Yeah, be bold. Let me see if I missed any. Um, uh, I just mentioned the book for the one who asked about that. I think that's it for questions, um, unless there are any extra ones. Um, thank you guys. Oh, wait, there might be one right now. Hold on. Um, love you too, man. 
Um, uh, thank you for those who did the survey. There's like about 100 responses, which is great. Um, before it got posted today, I'm not sure how many there are now. From what I understood for most people, Thursday should be left as is. 9.30 was good for most people. I'm usually um, like um, finishing around 11-ish. Um, although some people wrote in the survey, why not go longer if people are down and if they want to leave, they can leave. I'm fine with that too. Um, two thirds wanted an extra uh, Q&A. Um, the majority, as of when I have looked at them, wanted it on Friday uh, afternoon. Um, so I may, uh, I may do that. I'm not really concerned personally. I don't really care how many people show up because sometimes when there's less people, it's actually more intimate and, it, and it, it's got a, a different feel. So I'm, I'm down for that. So um, all of that will follow. Thank you guys so much and forgive me for blabbering, but I hope that, um, I hope that when you all leave tonight, um, if you have a picture of St. Athanasius, light a candle. If you don't have one, print one off your printer. Um, and, and sing even a sh very short veneration for him because we owe him, like we owe him big time. Um, we, we are where we are today because of him and we, we could not possibly sing enough for, um, of praise for how great he is. So the feast is tomorrow and we usually do the veneration tonight. So May 15th is his feast. Um, and so the eve of is when the party begins. So um, enjoy your venerations, keep me in your prayers and uh thanks homies good night